Welcome to On Texas Football. I'm Joe Cook. Today, I'm joined by Bobby Burton, sitting in for Justin Wells. Make sure you like this video, subscribe to the channel, make sure you check out Inside Texas, where you can get six months for $29.99, get all of Bobby's great insight, a bunch of recruiting news, and some forward-facing looks at the 2023 Longhorns. Today, we're going to look back a little bit. There was a recent list of the top 75 quarterbacks of the 2000s that ESPN put out. Bobby, uh, <clears throat> fair to say that you took a little bit of issue with it, but then we'll also get into some of the players wearing uniform numbers in the 90s. We'll be counting down the Longhorns starting tomorrow uh, as Friday marks 99 days until the season opener versus Rice. So we'll talk about a few of the players wearing those upper 90s numbers. So Bobby, thanks for, for sitting in. And uh, sounds like you have some some quarrels with the worldwide leader uh, based off their list. Well, I just, I, I, you know, Joe, I thought it was ridiculous. Uh, Baker Mayfield got beat out, uh, for lack of a better term, at, at uh, Texas Tech by not only Pat Mahomes, but Davis Webb. Uh, and I'm not sitting here trying to say that Baker Mayfield didn't have a, a great college career. He's just not, he's certainly not the best quarterback of the 2000s era. Uh, he may have been a great quarterback in part because of the offense he played in, uh, but you put him on another team, he's not nearly as good, in my opinion. You see that now in, a little bit in the NFL where he loses uh, some of that ability uh, to make plays. He wasn't necessarily all that fast. He was accurate. Uh, but anyways, I, I, I digress. Uh, the, the reality of it is, is in my opinion, Vince Young uh, and Cam Newton were the two best uh, most dominant players, uh, followed uh, probably by Joe Burrow in a single season, right? Joe Burrow just was, uh, I, I thought he had the best year statistically, I think we may ever see in college football, uh, but he didn't necessarily have the career of a Vince Young, right? right. Um, and the thing that all three of those guys have that Baker Mayfield and no Oklahoma quarterback in the 2000s, by the way, has, they have a national championship ring and ultimately uh, the, and, and that's why I don't put Lamar Jackson, by the way, in the same category as Newton uh, uh, young or uh, uh, Joe Burrow. If you don't have a national championship ring, that's really what it's all about in college football. There's no college football draft, right? right. That, that says, okay, you're the number one overall pick. In college football, it's all about the team winning uh, big. And uh, add in Tim Tebow, who won two national championships, although one of them, he was not the main player. And the other thing about Tebow, he did not leave college, uh, you know, with a national championship. He actually uh, got beat in the SEC championship game that year pretty handily uh, by an Alabama team. So uh, I look at the three, most, uh, three best players uh, as uh, pretty clear cut. Uh, I feel like it's Vince Young, Cam Newton, and Joe Burrow. How you want to place those, uh, in my opinion, you could I'd, – I'd give uh, Vince the nod over Cam Newton simply because uh, Cam Newton only did it one year. Uh, with Joe Burrow, his year was so outstanding. Uh, I, I could see any, any number of ways, and he did it differently, uh, whereas Vince and uh, Cam did it a lot with their legs and their arm. Uh, Burrow almost did it exclusively with his arm. Yeah, I think that my four has to be Vince, Cam, Tebow, and Burrow. I, I put Tebow up there. 
I know he was playing second to to Chris Leak in that 2006 year, but he was just such a a player that you know I don't think that the the article factored in for this, but he kind of kept that team together because it was going to fall apart if he wasn't there, considering all the characters both on the staff and uh, on the team that were there. But yeah, um, I, I'm I'm not as down on Baker as you are. Um, I still think that you know you, it's hard to over just discount a Heisman Trophy Heisman Trophy winning year or multiple years being in contention for it and getting Oklahoma close, but he's definitely not even in the top five for me. Nowhere close to that. He did put up a lot of stats and that probably helps and he was helped by longevity. But yeah, he was he was very, very good. He's worthy of the Heisman, but he's not worthy of being the number one quarterback of the 2000s and definitely not worthy of being past Vince Young. Colt McCoy was 12th, uh, and that's puts him behind players like obviously Burrow, Tebow, Vince, Cam, and Baker. Also puts him behind Deshaun Watson, Kyler Murray, Lamar Jackson, Marcus Mariota, RG3, and Trevor Lawrence. And again, that's kind of like all those names kind of seem like tier two to me. Um, Colt, I guess because of the lack of a national championship, maybe he gets a ding, but he was a four-year starter and he had a lot of wins and a conference championship, but no Heisman. So that's a, it's a tough tier to have to sort out. I, I think Deshaun thinks that senior year makes sense at being number six and even Trevor Lawrence, maybe Trevor Lawrence might be underrated considering what he did for, for Clemson in that other national title year. But, you know, it, it, it seems you know, you're kind of splitting hairs when you're going between nine and 12, but um, I think it makes sense that Colt is in that category and also hilariously one step above Johnny Manziel. <laughs> well, here, here, here's the deal. I think, and, and you mentioned Manziel, Colt McCoy in 08 and 09 was appointment TV. Um, and what I mean by that is everybody wanted to watch him to see what he's going to do. Uh, so was Johnny Manziel, by the way. And, and I, I think that's fair to say he was an electric player. For the Aggies, the the issue that that I have it, it goes back to Baker Mayfield, and I I just thinking about this: who would I rather face if I were a Longhorn? Would I rather face Baker Mayfield, Sam Bradford, or uh, Kyler Murray? Baker Mayfield is third for me on that list. Like I I do not. Sam Bradford was a tremendous tremendous player. Um, Kyler Murray, tremendous, tremendous player that could just beat you with his feet as well as his arm. Don't want to face those guys because they, they're a little I, – I thought Baker Mayfield was just an odd, odd selection. As it relates to Colt, um, I would take Colt over Baker Mayfield. He was a more dominant college football player than, than Baker Mayfield uh, when in, in a different setting. Uh, you know, Colt, you saw what happened. He led his team to a national championship game appearance – Something that Baker Mayfield never did, by the way, um, and did that in a scenario where he had very little help uh, on offense, and and you saw the fall off the the year he left. Uh, that's similar to the fall off that we saw Tebow have at Florida uh, when he left. The team fell off the off the uh, cliff a little bit, and I think that those guys are very similar in that way, in my opinion. Uh, so uh, that, that look, I get it. It's a beauty contest. I'm not going to sit here and moan about, you know, Miss Indiana beating Miss California or one quarterback over another. But my my bigger point is when you put out lists like this, 
if you don't calculate national championships, if you don't calculate things like fear factor of who you actually have to face in a, in a one game situation, I, the lists are just stats hogs, you know, who cares what you did against Kansas? Well, you grab something against Kansas. If you're yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, trying to bring this back to Texas a little bit, looking at through the list, um, seeing some guys that maybe Steve Sarkeesian coached. I know Matt Leinert is on there. Uh, he is number 17. Um, Bryce Young wasn't really coached. Well, yeah, he, he coached him. He didn't really get to deploy him too much at Alabama because of Mac Jones. Uh, Tua is on there at number 21. Carson Palmer at number 23. Uh, let's see if we can get any more. Uh, there's not really a lot of other candidates, I would say, uh, from the Steve Sarkeesian tree at that point. Mac Jones uh, there, number 38. Um, a lot of Big 12 guys. Colin Klein, number 41. He's way different than any of the other ones on that list. They And, and just because of not only the offense that they ran, but just the physical stature that he had. Um, Eli Manning, Arch's uncle, number 47. Um, that's kind of about it as far as it goes for anything Texas related, if, unless you wanted to go really, really far out there and say, oh, Matt Ryan, he's another Steve Sarkeesian quarterback, but that was with the Falcons uh, checking in at number 75. So, you know, it is off season. It's list season. You know, in about a month, it's going to get to talking season and uh, we'll be moving on from stuff about like, oh, who's the top quarterback of this decade? Who's the top running back? I guess one quick question, I'll put you on the spot. If they did this list for running backs of the 2000s, who comes to mind first? Adrian Peterson. Yeah. I almost thought about Trent Richardson, but I think it's got to be Adrian Peterson. Yeah. Trent Richardson is a good running back. He's not Adrian Peterson. Um, I, But how many years did he even play in the 2000s? Um, a guy like Eli Manning didn't play many years in the 2000s either. Um, I, but I, I thought Adrian Peterson's been the best running back uh, in the last 20 years. Um, unless I'm missing somebody recently, I, I don't put Bijan in that category. No. Uh, simply because Bijan didn't have the ride out speed that, that Adrian Peterson did. And uh, Adrian, a little tougher runner, uh, maybe not as elusive as Bijan, though, or, or have as good a hands out of the backfield. But um, I, that's to me, that's, that's a, a big one. Um, let's get going on. I, I really like the idea of what your list was, Joe. Uh, and what I mean by that, the, the idea of breaking down the, the players, uh, in the nineties, since we're, you know, on tomorrow, we're 99 days away. Uh, and then I want to go into Sadir Mitchell at 99, Chris Ross at 97 and Alfred Collins at 95 and what they mean. What was the, What's your idea uh, about talking about these guys and where you want to take this? Because I I'm ready to talk about them. I, I like I like Sadir. I like where Texas is going here. Yeah. So what we're we always have it inside Texas on our message board and on social media. We count down to kickoff and we have great pictures from Will Gallagher, who either finds guys on the current team or Longhorn Legends to you know post a picture of and usually sparks a good bit of discussion about, you know, players of the past. So if you brought out, you know, let's say we bring out 99, there'd be a lot of talk about Keandre Coburn who just got drafted by the chiefs. And, you know, you can go back and think about Roy Miller and, and other guys like that. But what we're going to try and do is we're going to include those look backs. We're going to include all the different, you know, memories and, and great pictures and things like that. But we're also going to do a little bit of forward facing 
ideas, projection about guys currently wearing that number. Um, that'll be something we try to post every single day. You know, when you get to the 67s, even though not to slight Malik Ogbo, uh, but let's say you get to the 59s. No, no one's really wearing 59 that I can think of. I can't even think of one off the top of my head. Uh, well, we may inter- interject some, you know, looks at assistant coaches or, or things like that. So, but the idea is to look at pretty much every single person on the roster as we're counting down the days until kickoff. And yeah, Sadir Mitchell's at first one. Uh, the number number 99 makes sense for someone that big, uh, big nose tackle out of New Jersey. And even though he was probably one of the biggest recruiting wins for Texas, because Texas A&M wanted him, Georgia wanted him, I'm sure Rutgers wanted him. Uh, one of the top uh, football players at a pretty good program in New Jersey. He may not be pressed into much action this year. There are a lot of players ahead of him. Um, I think I included Tavondre Sweat, Byron Murphy, Vernon Broughton, Alfred Collins, who we'll get to. Uh, Trill Carter is going to be in that mix. Aaron Bryant still on the roster. Obviously a different body type than Zach Swanson, but that's – six five or six or seven right there also if you look at what Sadir Mitchell is listed at on the roster he's 360 like and not to say that that's a bad thing when you're six six or at least that's what you're listed at but you're not going to be able to provide a ton a ton when you have that many guys ahead of you and you're still probably in some needing you need to reshape a little bit of your body so I think with a lot of these larger defensive tackles that Texas has had in the past few years, a redshirt year always does them well. Keandre Coburn redshirted, Moro Ojimo redshirted. I think Tavondre Sweat did, but I'm not sure. And they did so with the four-game rule. So what a lot of redshirt players are able to do is go through a, a, a lift program designed just for them and maybe not always, you know, thinking in light of game week. Now, it'll still be positive for what they have on game week, but Sadir Mitchell is going to have to probably work on getting that conditioning up, getting his strength up, um, and it's going to be tough unless he's just some supernova for him to crack that rotation with so many more talented guys and experienced guys ahead of him at defensive tackle, even though they like to rotate a lot. Yeah, I'm. I'm just going to be. I'm going to diverge from your thought here. There's no way Sadir Mitchell red shirts unless there's injury. Um, he's too big of presence on the interior. They lack that, um, in my opinion. After Tavondre Sweat, uh, they don't really have a true nose after Tavondre Sweat. Uh, Byron Murphy is a is a nose tackle, but he's a little undersized. Um, uh, Trill Carter is still a little undersized. He's not that bonus sized guy, uh, and while all that you said about his conditioning um, is true, he's a good enough player that they're going to have to find time for him. I thought what we saw in the spring game was very interesting uh, from him in that uh, all spring we had not heard much about how good he was doing or how bad he was doing. He just hadn't been a, a plus player. Well, he shows up in the spring game. I think he has two tackles, um, is a constant presence and a constant nuisance. When he's in the game, um, Jerry made the comment to me, Jerry Hamilton made the comment that he could just be a gamer. That With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. 
And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games. Could be part of it. It could also be that he's just that big and just that athletic that he's going to do something no matter what. Mm -hmm. And I, I don't know about the term of supernova that you used, but I feel like Texas doesn't have another body like him. And I, I just feel like they're going to find a way, whether it's short yardage, not unlike, you know, Cam Williams didn't redshirt last year. Right. But I think Cam Williams spent most of his time on field goal block. And that's what I was going to go into. Maybe that's where he finds his 10 or 11 games because he's 6'6", because he's 360, and because he's got that reach. And I bet that's where Cam, if he's not – gunning for time probably at one of the guards or if something happens and he ends up at tackle cam will probably find himself there again and that I, may be what unseats his his red shirt this year i would be surprised if samir sadir mitchell didn't see time at defensive tackle in mm -hmm. 10 out of 12 regular season games i'll go further because they're not as deep alfred collins is not a typical defensive tackle he's not that big body guy what texas is lacking right now um in my opinion are the really big bodied guys. Sadir Mitchell is the only one on the roster outside of Tavondre Sweat that is that really, really plus sized body. Tavondre Sweat goes out. Who are you going to have there? Well, Collins isn't that guy. Murphy's not that guy. Broughton is certainly not that guy. He gets pushed, pushed around way too much. Um, Swanson's not that guy. Aaron Bryant could be that guy in time. Sadir Mitchell's ready made. I think. I think he plays regular time in at least 10 of 12 games this year. Could be wrong, uh, but that's that's where I come out with him. Very high on him, by the way. Very, very All high. All right. You want to move on to number 97? Number yep. 98 was left vacant by Mora Ojimo. We don't know who will be there. We'll probably find out at Big 12 Media Days. Uh, so number 97, Christopher Ross from Galena Park, North Shore. He was a player that I think a lot of the coaches, and I think we all expected would grow into being – kind of like Mora Ojimo, a guy who kind of plays in that 285, 290 range as a deep, as a three technique, can bump out in certain situations. But it sounded like over the course of the spring and, and throughout his first year on campus that gaining weight, not, not that he's not working hard, but just gaining weight has been something that hasn't come easy to him and that they may be trying him out at some of the edge positions, whether it be Jack or Buck. And you know, looking back at something that Eric wrote over on InsideTexas.com, uh, he's he's behind Ethan Burke. Uh, and granted, there's a lot of mixing and matching with Baron Sorrell and and Justice Finkley, even Ethan Burke, Jamon Tapp, Colton Vosick. There's a lot of different things going on. But Chris Ross has kind of found himself more towards that weak side edge position as opposed to growing even into a strong side edge or a uh, three technique type player. 
I think he's going to probably end up getting some rotational snaps, kind of like Justice Finkley did last year. But I'm not sure if he's the type of player that this year, considering they're still kind of figuring out his body a little bit with the size uh, and hard gaining that he's had to go through. Um, I, I think he'll see snaps, but I don't think he's going to be just like this featured presence. And I don't think that's going to happen maybe until a couple of years down the line, especially when there's someone like Jeray Bledsoe and uh, even, you know, if they j- just someone like that, even Darian Gallette, whenever he comes back healthy, uh, there's just a lot of different players there that make me make it tough for me to see Chris, Chris Ross being just a consistent presence on the field this year at, at one of the edge spots. I agree with you. Um, I think that uh, Ross out of North Shore High School, tremendous program. Um, a lot of guys at North Shore have maxed out, right? Uh, that's the thing about great programs uh, in high school. Uh, unlike in Texas, unlike almost any other state, guys can top out a little bit early. I don't know that Chris Ross topped out, so I don't want to put that tag on him. Uh, but from a weight perspective, he might have. You know, he was already playing interior at, at North Shore. Well, now he's playing on the exterior at Texas, if that tells you anything. Um, but he is fast. Um, the coaches do like that he made some movement this year, uh, Joe. He wasn't he, he wasn't stagnant, right? Mm-hmm. He didn't just uh, – some. there were some guys that maybe were stagnant this spring and didn't make moves at all. Chris Ross actually did some things that caught some coaches' eyes at times this year. Um, I feel like – he and a guy like Jamon Tapp, for example, risk are at the risk of running out of room to grow and or become players in this system. Um, and so he is one of those guys that's on my list of, okay, what's he going to do? And what's he, what and who really is he going to be? You, you say he's lost, he, he's in a shuffle. Well, is he lost in the shuffle? Right. Yeah. And I think that's where we, we don't know yet with Chris Ross. Uh, this year, I think, will be a big one for him, uh, not only from a growth perspective, but, you know, finding out who he really is and whether or not he's good enough to play at this level at a level that Texas needs and wants. Right. I'm trying to – he's listed at – during the spring, he was listed at 6'2", 246 pounds, which is that's, – that's edge play right there. And that's good size for Buck and maybe a little lighter for, for Jack than you'd like, but – it's definitely not a, a defensive tackle, so he's going to have to prove himself there against a position where the the talent has been upgraded in the past few years with guys like Justice Finkley, Colton Vosick, Ethan Burke. Like it's, and I know he was part of those classes, but he's going to have to prove himself at a position maybe he didn't think to he was going to be playing. I guess number ninety five. There's no number ninety six unless you want to look at Gabe Lozano, who is a kicker who I don't think has seen action in a game or if he has it's been in blowout opportunities uh but we will look at Alfred Collins and you know sometimes we we talk about Alfred Collins as a lot of un, untapped potential based off his size based off his athletic ability I think what sometimes gets lost is that Texas has asked Alfred Collins to play I think three different positions they've asked him to play three technique They've asked him to play nose tackle. They've asked him to play defensive end. And we all remember that 2020 Cotton Bowl where he made – or Alamo Bowl where he made that diving play against Colorado. And it was a great play. And there are some flashes where he gives offensive linemen fits just one-on-one. 
but it's just not enough to where the coaches, two different staffs, have rendered him needed on the field on a play by play by play basis. Um, and he's also just had other, you know, NFL draft picks there ahead of him. So this is a big year for him. Um, obviously, we know that the way Texas uses defensive tackles, there are two guys that go on the field first, but the two guys behind them get just as many snaps. I think Tavondre Sweat may have had more snaps than Keandre Coburn this past year. So this is a big opportunity for Collins because along with Murphy, Sweat, and maybe Trill Carter, he shouldn't be behind Trill Carter. He should be right behind Murphy and Sweat making a lot of plays and proving that you know the five-star ranking, all the athleticism, everything we've heard about him is, is not just hype and something that we'll see on the football field. We've seen it, but it just has to happen a lot more often. It's interesting, Joe, to me. Um, his mom played basketball at Texas, so he's a, a legacy of sorts. He came into Texas having played basketball as – uh, his uh, senior spring. And so he hadn't truly dedicated himself to the weight room, yet they immediately put him at defensive tackle. Tried to make him an end. Um, they've moved him around based on the different staffs. They've decided he's a defensive tackle, but more of a three, four technique, right? Um, and I thought uh, that's the right, I think that long-term, that's the right spot for him. Uh, the question I have, uh, for him is, is he dedicated enough to become the player that he can become? Because he athletically has a chance to be an absolute terror as a pass rusher out of the three or four eyes spot. I mean, just he, he is a natural mover. He's quick. He's long armed. Um, this is a guy and, and, you know, Jerry uses the term uh, contract year. Right. Yeah. This is a guy that's in a contract year. Um, if if he can be the guy, Joe, uh, that, that we think he can, he may be the straw that stirs the drink on defense. He may be the guy that that makes it easier for Jalen Ford to make plays. He may open it up for Byron Murphy to get more sacks. Um, and, and they did some things, you know, Ian Boyd, uh, the X's and O's guy at Inside Texas, did a couple of nice uh, uh, things with Alfred Collins and takeaways from the spring game and some of the twists they used with Alfred specifically that really caused some problems for the Texas offensive line. Now, you can say, well, that's he was going up against this guy or that guy on the offensive line. The reality of it is, is that those guys have seen those twists and stunts before because they're working against the same guys in practice. And if it's still giving them problems, at some level, that's the players making a difference. So I think there's some hope here. Um, and from what I hear from behind the scenes, I think there's some real hope as it relates to Alfred Collins being really, really good in this contract year. I just don't like talking about woulda, coulda, shoulda. So right. Much. And it feels like, um, you know, the, the old saying, you know, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. Fool me three times. What are we talking about here? Well, this this would be the fool me three times potentially, right? Um, and so I wish Alfred Collins nothing but the best of luck, and I do think he could be a, a standout player. But I don't know right now if he's in the weight room every day, if he's really gearing up to have that that absolute banner season uh, that could make a difference between him being a. I mean, dude, he he's got first round draft pick potential. 
It's not a he's just a guy um, versus not being picked at all and never making money in the NFL. That's that's the you know, that you talk about high ceiling, low floor. He's the ultimate low floor, high ceiling player on the entire team right now for me. Right. I think the key for Alfred Collins is, are you good enough to make this a four man rotation still? And if not, then that's going to have downstream effects on the entire Texas defense. And they should be able to find that, you know, if he, if they can't find number three, then they're going to have a lot more problems trying to number four too. It's just a downstream issue. So that's my big question for him this year. So uh, th- think that about does it. Hey, after uh, 95, we got Jare Bledsoe, Tavondre Sweat, Colton Vosick, and Ethan Burke, and then Byron Murphy, Baron Sorrell. We getting this, we're going to get into some really good names over the course of uh, discussion about as we go through the numbers. So, Bobby, thank you for, for pitch hitting for Justin. Make sure you like this video. Subscribe to the channel. Uh, we're bringing you Texas football content every single day on, on Texas football. We'll have a lot uh, in the coming days. Uh, just from some great guests and otherwise. Make sure you check out InsideTexas.com. You can get six months, so that'll get you to Thanksgiving just about uh, for $30, $29.99. You'll get all the way through the season recruiting, official visits, all that stuff. Thank you so much, Bobby, and we will see you next time on On Texas Football.